All right, so let's kick things off uh, another episode of Across the Dietary Universe. And today we have with us Judy Cho. Judy Cho is a certified nutritional therapy practitioner and the author of Carnivore Cure. She has a holistic health practice focusing on root cause healing and gut health through the use of meat-based elimination diet. She is the author of Carnivore Cure, a book that provides step-by-step tips and evidence for following a meat-based lifestyle. Prior to becoming a nutritional therapist, she was a management consultant and now uses her psychology and nutritional therapy education to help serve her clients. So let's give a welcome, even though you won't hear the applause, to Judy Cho. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, And I was just saying before we hit the record button that I got Marina, I was like, I gave her a task and I said, look... We've had a lot of dietitianists, we've had nutritionists of all sorts, different diets. We just spoke to ADHD dietitian, which was an amazing podcast. Um, but we, we've been hearing about carnivore diet and we haven't spoken to anyone who is a thought leader uh, on the carnivore diet. And my good friend um, uh, and doctor, uh, so he's a physician here in, in British Columbia, uh, he was telling me all the good things about carnivore diet and he's reading the literature on it. And I said to myself, well, I don't really know too much about it. So I want to go find out about it and see, you know, see what the deal is. So Judy, we have some questions for you today. And how did you get into carnivore diet? Like where, how did you end up with that? And tell me a little bit of the inception story for you or the genesis rather. Sure. Sure. So I went to UC Berkeley for undergrad and um, over there, a lot of people are plant-based. So Um, People said, if you have a health condition, that plant-based is the way to go. So I started dabbling into plant-based diets, just eating a lot more salad. Um, And then I fell into the master cleanse. It was really trendy back then. And so I did this lemon detox diet. And the doctor of that, I've always been someone that's not just following something. I want to know the behind the stories. And so the doctor that created the master cleanse said that, meats putrefy in your gut it's just not ideal for you and i said fine i am just going to cut all meat from my diet so fast forward 12 years um, i got thinner people would give me the compliments which then just uh, facilitated you to eat that way and so people would say wow you look so good is this your vegetarian diet or pescatarian diet occasionally added fish Um, and people would say you know just you look really healthy you seem really healthy But behind closed doors, I started struggling. So the first year was great. I was working out uh, plant-based and felt pretty good. And then all of a sudden, I'd have these nights where I was constantly hungry and I started having binge tendencies. And then I didn't want to, you know, uh, um, break the dream. So people thought I looked good and I wanted to keep it kind of in check. And so I started to use behaviors of eating disorder. So I would start purging or using laxatives and other things to keep my weight low, but be really secretive about it. And so um, I didn't understand what was wrong. I never thought it was a diet. I thought it was something that was wrong with me. I just didn't have enough wherewithal to just um, resist uh, junky foods. And then um, as I got married and I had my first child, I was nursing him. I was pumping around the clock to make sure that he would get enough milk. And I went on antibiotics and um, something about that, the connection with the gut and the mind wiped out my memory. So I, at six months of my child, my first child, um, the worst fear that can happen of mother failing as a mom came true. I was in the mental hospital 
on New Year's Eve, never got to celebrate New Year's Day with my son. And I don't even remember it. Um, I remember little bits. And they said that I had severe postpartum depression, and that I was struggling with an eating disorder and that I should go and get therapy. So we don't know exactly what wow. happened. I just know that I took the antibiotics, I got my memory wiped out. Granted, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating well, I was using eating disorder behaviors, but I was plant based and never once did anyone ask me about my diet. So I did the hard thing and I left my son in Los Angeles moved back to Austin and went to eating disorder treatments uh, 10 to 12 hours a day in uh, critical care to just figure out what is wrong with me. And so in those places, they were totally open and accepting of me being plant-based. So I didn't have to ever eat meat. I didn't have to ever touch food that had meat in it, but I was not allowed to say I was low carb. So if you were to resist breads or sugars, then that was considered considered eating disordered. Wow. And so in there, I learned about moderation and how you will only be healed if you eat little bits of sugar and be okay with it and be able to sit with it. I couldn't resist carbs, but I was allowed to not eat meat. And so as I graduated from there, I did a lot of healing, absolutely. And I learned about, you know, maybe I need some boundaries. And, you know, I think therapy is good for everybody and figuring out what's your why and why you're motivated and things like that. But I would still struggle. So I would follow all their mindful eating and I would try to find balances of the fat, protein and carbs. But I would still struggle every day. And every once in a while, I'd fall off binge and purge and then get hard on myself of what is wrong with me? Why am I not able to get over these behaviors? I'm a mom and I need to take care of my son. And I remember being in the hospital, like what's, or, you know, remember that I was there at least. And, and somebody introduced me to the ketogenic diet. And I said, you're going to die of heart disease, adding like a stick of butter in your coffee. Mm. And so I started researching it to prove that they were wrong. And what I found was that I was wrong. And so I started a ketogenic diet and granted, I was still plant-based. So I thought maybe it's cause I wasn't eating enough fat. Maybe I was eating way too many carbohydrates. So I did the ketogenic diet and it improved a lot of my mental health struggles, eating disorder struggles, but that little bit of carbs every day, whether it's thinking of should I add it as veggies or should I add it as Snickers? Because if it fits your macros type of thing, but every once in a while that a little bit of carbohydrates again would make me binge and then go down that rabbit cycle of here I go again and what's wrong with me and I'm just a failure, you know, that type of stuff. Right. And so when I was going through the ketogenic diet, a friend of mine said, you know, there's a thing called a carnivore diet where they just eat meat. And I was like, that is insane and crazy. And so but it's just, you know, when you get to rock bottom and you're desperate and knowing that I'm always in this cyclical thing of binging and then eating, being sober and back and forth, back and forth, I was desperate. And so I said, this sounds crazy, but I'm going to try it. So for the first time in, I'd say 12 years, I decided to eat meat. And so first I did ketogenic with meat. Um, the first time I had meat, I actually threw up. I think wow. I wasn't used to, yeah. I don't know what, but I remember I had an in and out patty and I got really sick, but after that it was okay. Then the transition was very normal, but it changed my life. And I never thought that meat only could change my life, but what I thought would just be a temporary, I'm just going to try it. Let's see how it goes but everything changed in my life. So when I first did it, my husband was so against it. It's like, we should be eating plants. We should be eating veggies and fruits. 
Um, but what ended up being a two week trial ended up becoming something that changed my life forever. And so I wanted to know why. And so I started learning about nutritional um, nutrition and nutrient density, went back to school. And then now I became an advocate because what changed my life I know can change many. And so I will be an advocate for people to learn about a meat-based diet that can start as an elimination diet and truly cause healing. And then you can figure out what you may want to add back in if you choose to. This is one of those podcasts where I just have to take it all in. Um, what a story. I know it's a lot. What a story, <laughs> Judy. There's so many things that we can go into there. And I think there's a lot that um, would resonate with people. The fact that you went to an intensive therapy to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course there's, there's always components there where, um, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily like a cure for you because you're an individual, you're a unique individual who has to find the key to her specific lock. Um, and it took so much trial and error for you to, to get there. Um, and sometimes it's, I mean, it's, it's a long journey and it's hard and there is, in food health, we're starting to be more cognizant of the fact that it's extremely close and tied in to mental health too. So every time we talk about right. mental health, we talk about food health, talk about diet. And then when we talk about diet, what are the repercussions mentally? Um, and the fact that you Absolutely. were brave enough to, the fact that you're brave enough even to try meat. And the thing that stood out to me the most, and everyone should listen to this, because this is extremely important in this day and age. Um, My friends told me about keto. I said you were gonna have a heart attack or you were gonna die of heart disease. I did the research to prove them wrong and found out that I was wrong. This is what you said. And that's a brilliant quote. And like, that's the mark of someone who truly is open to research and understanding and learning because your, your real desire is not to prove a point. Your real desire is to feel good. Um, and I think that's the mark of someone that you could, uh, that you can trust. And I find that that's lacking these days because people many times go to prove a point, um, and never deviate from that. And that's the mission to prove a point as opposed to getting the real information. Um, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, I, I, what I'll say is, um, one thing I forgot in the story is, When I was in those eating disorder facilities, I was starting to see a psychiatrist that put me on medication. So they often do that. So people in there have a lot of anxiety, have a lot of depression. And so they put them on medication. And so they told me, if you have a pain in your arm, you'll take some type of pain medication so that you don't feel the pain. So just in the same vein, if you have mental illness, if you take a medicine that will help your mental illness, what's so wrong with that? And so I believe that and I took it and I took antidepressants and within like three months I was at the highest dose and it wasn't really working so sure I didn't feel the highs but I mean I didn't feel the lows but I didn't really feel any highs I was just kind of muted and so it wasn't working as well I would still use the eating disorder behaviors and so they said well let's try an add-on drug of um it's like an antipsychotic some they use it sometimes for bipolar schizophrenics Mm. and Um, They said, but we can use it kind of off label as another support for antidepressants. I even tried that. Well, those things actually make you gain weight. And for an eating disorder individual, it's like the worst thing you can give. And so I realized that the standard care of medication isn't helping me. I'm at the highest dose. I'm doing everything they're saying, but I'm still broken. Mm. And for that part, I didn't blame myself because medication should just fix it. And it didn't. And when I 
started a keto carnivore diet. Like I am on zero medication. Good for you. Good for you. I I've heard similar stories from like online with uh, like, I guess the YouTube algorithm or whatever you watch one video and all of a sudden they send you a ton of videos of the same thing. But um, the Petersons, like Michaela Peterson yes. uh, specifically talking about, I think she had a ton of, I mean, not, it's not the same story, but she also found that the carnivore diet had many um, exponential uh, uh, benefits to, to her life mentally uh, included. Um, did you, like, is that familiar with you? Have you looked at, uh, at their stories? Are you familiar with, or like, I don't know. Cause that's like the most mainstream story that I know. Um, right. Right. But is that, is that sort of along the same thing that you're doing in terms of diet? Is that the same diet? Yeah, pretty so much? yes, it's, it's this, it's a similar diet. Should I explain the carnivore yeah, diet? Like I think, how, I think um, yeah, I think I, at this point it's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Cause there might, <laughs> my, some people aren't clear. So I'll give you an idea of what I think of it. I think the carnivore diet means based on okay. what I know that it's only meat and every so often maybe there's like asparagus, but it's mostly meats. I think I have it wrong. So you can give me the real definition of it. Okay. So a carnivore diet is basically, so if you think about carnivores in the world, they only eat meat and they exclusively eat meat. They do not eat plants. So that is what a carnivore diet is. Anything that's from the animal kingdom is permitted. Now, it depends on what level of illness you're coming into. So if it's like, I just want to lose weight, it might be more flexible. Maybe you could keep in the asparagus. Maybe you can keep in the broccoli over time and things like that. But for some people like Michaela Peterson, she struggled with rheumatoid arthritis. She had autoimmune disease. So for her, she had to get really down to the bare basics and eat the most, um, I guess, whole and just real foods and and she would have to even be really tricky so for her she couldn't eat fish for example because it might cause a response in her system mm. so what you can think of a carnivore diet what i like to think of it is an elimination diet meaning that you're removing certain foods and getting to the bare basics and what i mean by that is you're sticking to ruminant meats such as beef um, lamb, you could do elk, bison, and you just eat meats. And the reason why we do this is as an elimination diet is we're trying to remove anything that could be culprits that are making us not feel well. And that could be physically and also mentally. Now from that stage, you can, um, then move on to then adding like chicken and pork and other foods, and you can add dairy. Um, but it's like a step approach, right? So if you get to the, the most cleanest meats, um, the most bioavailable in terms of nutrients, meaning that even if you have gut damage, you can't really tolerate foods. Well, meat based on the the, the way it is, um, it's the most bioavailable proteins, meaning that even if your gut is damaged compared to eating a bean or tofu, if you eat uh, meat, the, the most of the protein and the nutrients can be absorbed by your gut because it doesn't need to change it into a different vitamin or doesn't need to break it down. It just can eat, be eaten and then broken down and absorbed in the body. And so that's where we call these nutrients more bioavailable. So when a body is sick, the simplistic thing is if you just give it raw materials that it can use as nutrition to heal, then there's less inflammation, less noise from your foods, and then the body can work on the other things that are imbalanced. But if we start adding in processed foods, if we start adding in other foods that are like fires to our little flame inside us, well, we're not going to figure out what's up from down, what's going on in our body. So if you do an elimination diet, um, 
you can do a lot more healing. And the difference between carnivore and like all the other elimination diets out there is that every single elimination diet, if you think about it, they remove some level of plants. So like the FODMAP diet, they remove certain carbohydrates that are higher in these oligosaccharides. Whole30 removes certain um, preservatives. There's all these types of diets. The thing is, None of them remove meat at level one. Mm. None of them remove it. Mm. But they all remove certain elements of plants. And the thing is, you will hear some people say, oh my gosh, FODMAP diet was great. AIP, autoimmune paleo diet was great. But And then there's people that say it wasn't good enough. And so what if we just say no plants at all and start an elimination diet? And then once you feel a baseline of health, meaning no symptoms, you sleep better, your mood is better, your gut is better, your poops are normal. Then if you decide to add in back, then you can. But what if we just started with the cleanest diet possible to get the most nutrients, the less toxicity and less inflammation so that you can actually start healing and then figuring out what foods really work for me to add back in. That's very interesting. So my understanding is that, okay, there's, I know one point that you make with plants there could be an issue of pesticides and so on and then you also have i believe like a rebuttal perhaps like for organic plants um Mm -hmm. but i guess my question to you is a a lot of animals will uh eat plants um and they're also they take antibiotics and you know wherever they are so i guess is the goal for meats first and foremost to get the cleanest possible meat is that like a prerequisite because you might be getting like meat that's been you know shot up with all sorts of stuff right right so there are farmers that you can talk to and the antibiotics first of all they're expensive so you can't just give it to everybody um, or all the animals that are in these feedlots to um because it's expensive so they only give it to the animals that are unwell but uh, with that said um, it depends on your illness so if you are like Michaela she probably had to eat the highest quality because just in case right there might be a little bit of the corn fed foods that were in the animal that now you're eating or some of the toxins or the biotoxins that were in the food that then get into the animal and we don't know when they're processing the animal that then that part was still let's say in the liver or in other parts of the body of the animal so If you are doing this for weight loss, I don't think you have to get that specific. Um, If you are doing it for an autoimmune where no standard care is helping you, you may have to. Um, I personally did a mix of both. I did grain fed and I did grass finished. I do a mix of both. And even with some of that grain fed, the the ones that the meats that you could just find at the supermarket, the cheapest cost ones that are just raw though, I still healed off of that. So I don't think that everybody needs to get to the highest quality sourcing. And I talk a lot about that in my carnivore cure book, but for some people, they may need to get to that level. So it really depends on the individual and how healthy or not healthy you are. Got it. So my understanding now is that your um, advocacy of carnivore diet for the most part is for people who aren't seeing results with the other diets. And you're saying, Hey, this is a logical approach. Um, given that the other approaches don't necessarily, um, uh, cut out all plans at, at level one, um, try this way. It worked for me. It's worked for countless other people. Give this, give this a go, but you're not necessarily advocating it for just like across the board as the, you know, top of the pyramid diet. 
Um, I do actually. So okay. here's uh, when you talk about it from an elimination perspective, it makes yeah. sense of what you just said. And yeah. I agree with that. But in general, um, if you think about the way that we ate eons ago, mm -hmm. we focused on meats and we focused on butter and we focused on full fat foods. It is only recently that we thought fat is what causes heart disease. And so we try to limit a lot of saturated fats and what's happening is the heart disease rates are not going down so the canola oils these seed oils that are highly inflammatory that are oxidized meaning that they're already toxic so there's a lot of electrons that are not paired and they're just very inf inflammatory and then when you eat it it will cause more um i guess inflammation in the body and so i think for the general person a meat-based diet is actually ideal but if you think about it, we are around an abundance of food for somebody that feels healthy, that has normal everything to, for me to say, you should just eat meat. It's a pretty hard sell. It's just normally that the sick people that are sick of everything, that they're willing to try it. But I do think that a meat-based diet is a species appropriate. And the way that I explain that is so every every living thing in this world wants to evolve and wants to have their offspring continue. That's just the survival of the fittest, right? Mm -hmm. So animals can run from their predator. And so they don't need to have any other arsenal other than to run well and to be athletic and be in shape. Okay. Well, plants don't have that option to do that. So what plants do is they have their DNA protects them with toxins so that let's say you eat a plant toxins can combine and then make you really sick. Um, they can have other things in them. So, you know, we're learning about these more and more, and this is what we call anti-nutrients. But if you think about like how people are sensitive to gluten or people that have celiac disease, well, gluten is an anti-nutrient. Right. So in the plant, there are toxins that the plant is basically saying, don't eat me. So I can, you know, continue and evolve. And so, there's a lot of those. So like, um, I think Dr. Steve Gundry brought up lectins. And so lectins is another anti-nutrient. And there's far more than we imagine. Every plant has some type of toxin because if they have survived this many eons, then that's why they're here. It's because they have some level of toxins. And if you think about it, when we're growing up, we are taught don't ever eat berries off the the bushes, right? We can't just eat off of any tree right. because we might get sick. So it's like evolutionary. We only found certain plants that we might be able to tolerate, but maybe in the long, long journey, maybe it's not that ideal for us. So why, why are we able to eat blueberries, but not eat the berries off the tree blueberries, which have, um, sure they have antioxidants that can help with some of the inflammation from like seed oils, but what if there are toxins in blueberries also or a, another fruit right um because blueberries don't have too much sugar so maybe it's not as bad but why do we eat certain berries um, when other berries are toxic and so mm. it just makes you think maybe we're getting low dose, doses of poison and maybe that would have been okay long ago but fruit was very limited in our past meat was in, a, in abundance when we hunted and then we would fast for long periods until we get our next amount of food but in general there was never heart disease long ago there was never these diseases that are of our modern society so do i think meat based is for everyone i absolutely do um 
babies are born ketogenic, right? So they nurse and they feed and then they sleep for 12 hours. Well, the only reason they're surviving in the 12 hours is because they're producing ketones and um, surviving off fatty acids. We should be eating very similarly to these kids where then maybe they should be being introduced to meat instead of like a fruit or something to then pull them out of um, ketosis. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, this is a stupid question, but let's, let's go back to like the, let's say the basics. Uh, we have been eating a ton of fruits and a ton of vegetables in our diet collectively. And I think like, let's say the standard, um, the standard diet that maybe it's, maybe now there's controversy, but I'm, I'm not too sure. I, I think Mediterranean diet is still sort of uh, the, the standard for like a generally healthy diet sure. that's promoted that combines meat with, you know, olive oil and, uh, and vegetables. And it has in, in, I guess, many studies been proven to be a generally healthy diet. Um, so is it perhaps that vegetables, maybe they do contain, and I get, I have to trust you on this cause I don't know the, the literature. I haven't read it. And the fact that it works means that there's a point here, right? Um, but perhaps it has an effect only on certain um, people with a predisposition for uh, being afflicted by that toxin. Like, for example, dairy, right? Um, a lot of people are lactose intolerant. I've, I found out when I was diagnosed with colitis, um, I became lactose intolerant at the same time. And if I have it, it can get me in a flare-up, especially if I'm stressed out. Um, gluten is another, sure. you know, it's something that works great for a lot of Italians, uh, and a lot of people who enjoy their, their pastas and pizzas and whatever, and it might, you know, add a few pounds to you, but, uh, otherwise they're okay. Um, so is this something that perhaps, okay, maybe in some sense it is toxic, but it's only toxic to certain people and other people can do just fine because clearly there's a lot of people who aren't on the carnivore diet that do just fine. Um, so how do you reconcile yes. that, I guess? So the studies for Mediterranean, first of all, um, there are nutritional science is very hard to really set in stone. I mean, mm -hmm. no science is really set in stone, but it's because, I mean, first of all, there's ethics with that, but all the Mediterranean countries also, they eat a little differently. It's not like everyone eats just salmon, just olive oil, and then a little bit of grains. It's just different everywhere. I have a friend that's a nutritionist that travels to all these indigenous countries and was in the Mediterranean for a lot. And they eat a lot of high fat and they eat a lot of proteins. And so there's some misinformation about what a true Mediterranean diet is and what gives them longevity. Um, I think the blue zones are sometimes not always accurately depicted, but What's with that zone? said, What's a blue um, zone? I do, um, a, a blue zones are where there are populations of people in the world that supposedly live, um, like a hundred years, they okay. can call them centurions, but, right. um, in those places, uh, the argument is that the, these blue zones where people live a lot longer are that they eat almost no meat or they eat very few meats and that they're a very carb rich diet. Mm. Um, but we don't consider lifestyle factors and we don't consider genetics and other things. So with all of that said, um, I do believe that the amount that we are trying to manipulate with our diet is a 
um, a, a factor in our general wellness, but genetics absolutely play a role. So I think everyone can do well on a meat-based diet, but does everyone need to do one? Well, if you're healthy, your markers look good and you can deal with a little bit of plants and you could deal with a little bit of sugar and you do okay, then maybe that's okay for you. But in general, I don't think that a plant-based diet is ideal. And um, I talked through a lot of that. You're saying you don't think think a plant-based diet. So it sounds like there is maybe some middle ground that you can deal with, but you're, you're, you're kind of like against the plant-based diet first and foremost, like that's public enemy number one, as far as you're concerned. Um, it depends on what you define as plant-based. So if you were vegetarian, you were eating a lot of eggs, you were eating a good amount of butter and you're eating like olive oil and those types of things, you can actually probably do okay. Now, if you have gut issues, Mm -hmm. you can't break down the soluble fibers and you're not really good at breaking down, um, the short chain fatty acids for nutrients for your gut and your gut just doesn't feel well, then plant-based diets are probably not for you. Yeah. So like for you, for you struggling with colitis, the number one uh, diet I would recommend for you is a meat only diet. And, and the best way is to just try it. And worst case, it's like you do meat only for three months and you feel this isn't for me. You can always go back to where you felt because the thing is that most people that do a meat only diet in the beginning is that they find so much healing. It's like, whoa, I never realized I was struggling with mental fog. I didn't realize I had these lapses with blood sugar imbalances or mood um, imbalances or the gut health. Um, I specialize in gut health. So a lot of these clients that struggle with colitis and stuff, as they eat a meat only diet, they realize a lot of these issues just resolve and that a lot of people can get off medication. So the question is, maybe you can tolerate plants. Um, I was able to tolerate a lot of oxalate, which is an um, anti-nutrient, a lot of oxalate-rich plants. And I was okay. I have clients that eat oxalate-rich foods and they get really sick. So yes, I do think it's individualized, but do we need plants? I don't believe so. What are some examples of oxalate? Um... So a paleo diet is really rich in oxalates. Okay. Spinach, okay. almonds, dark chocolate, super rich uh turmeric very very high in oxalates so um oxalates are like the crystals from oxalates can actually perpetuate kidney stones so what's funny is um we don't talk about this in the way that standard care shares it but for people that have been um that just had a kidney stone surgery they'll say uh they don't say go on a low oxalate diet but the dietary recommendations are low oxalate so they'll say no spinach no dark chocolate no almonds on the, um, in this way of eating. So the paleo diet, that was like the big one that came, I guess, early uh, 2010s, maybe it started and then peaked and then keto kind of took over, but, uh, paleo almost got it right, but not quite is what you're saying. It's like, if you just minus those oxalates and then it's good to go effectively. Yes. So I think the issue that, so a lot of people can do really well with um, paleo, right? It's whole foods, but um, there's a level, if you are eating a lot of the plants, you may just have a sensitivity. If you came into the diet with a lot of gut imbalances, that can also cause the issues. Um, And then nuts, Um, nuts are really, really high in a lot of anti-nutrients. And a lot of those anti-nutrients, what they do is one, they bind to minerals. So if you're eating spinach, which binds to um, 
although there's iron in it, if you're eating a lot of other plants that mm. can bind to iron, then as much as you're eating the plants and you think, oh, I'm getting so much iron from my cup of spinach, you're probably getting none because the anti-nutrients bind to minerals. And again, it's the the end lesson is to teach you that why, why am I just feeling unwell? Why am I getting anemic? And it's, oh, maybe I shouldn't be eating that spinach anymore. So that's the broader lesson of the, the plant kingdom. But if it's just, if you were to remove certain plants and you feel better, then it's kind of telling that maybe certain plant foods don't work. And then nuts have, have a lot of phytates, a lot of lectins, a lot of um, oxalates, and all of those are, mm. especially the lectins and the phytates, they grab onto your minerals, but also they cause more gut permeability in your gut. And so what that really means is you have a endothelial cell in your gut that blocks any proteins and foods to get outside of your gut. And when that starts loosening up, the tight junctions loosen up, then food can kind of seep into your bloodstream. This can happen because of stress. It can happen because of medication. It can also happen because of anti-nutrients and the plant, the foods that we're eating. So the additives, the chemicals and processed foods. So when that happens, food starts going into your bloodstream. And that's how we get autoimmune disease. It's the tight junctions open up. And then all of a sudden where food was never supposed to be in your bloodstream, your immune system starts tagging them as threats. Well, these proteins that they're tagging and from our foods can be very similar to the proteins that our thyroid makes. And that's how we get Hashimoto's. Um, it could be proteins that are in um, other parts like joints. And that's how we get rheumatoid arthritis. So that is why Michaela, for example, as she removed all plant foods and only stuck to meat, there's no more assaults coming into the body. And then her body was finally able to start healing, closing up the tight junctions and her body is able to heal. And um, I think that's a powerful place, especially if you've been really sick and just the standard diet, the standard care is not helping. It's just an option you can try. And there's been tremendous, tremendous stories of people healing. Right. I do believe for sure, to be clear, I, I think it's uh, abundantly clear that the carnivore diet has many benefits and seems to be like a great solution for a lot of different people. Clearly, like yourself, your story, Michaela Peterson's story. And I think, you know, there's there's many others out there that we can look at. Um, I don't know that I'm still like, I think I have to look at, I have to keep researching, researching this a little bit more. Okay. And I imagine there's some sources, some scientific papers that you could probably, uh, are they available on your website? Maybe there's some resources people can check out and see for themselves. Yes. Um, I have blog posts on my page where I talk about the climate change with meat and the concerns okay. of that, um, about anti-nutrients. There's a basic, there's a lot of like beginner level information, but the real guide is my book, um, Carnivore Cure, right. where we talk, I talk through a lot of the detailed levels of all of this. So just to make sense. So there's a section that talks about just gut health, how the gut functions and what it needs in terms of nutrition, and then also what can also cause the cell, um, the the gut to become more permeable. Right. And then there's a big section on plants and and even organic. So, as an example, so we think, okay, we know GMOs are not ideal for us. That glyphosate it can has been proven to cause cancer. So then maybe let's just stick to the organic foods. The thing right. about organic foods is that they have to spray the plants much more and much more often to get the same level of efficacy than they do with the GMO. So I talk about that level. Mm. So some of those 
um, organic compounds are just as effective that the, the labs, they create uh, GMO versions or not even GMO, but just lab created versions. And they just don't label it organic anymore, even though it's the same exact compound. And I talk about some of those examples. So one, it's that plants have anti-nutrients that can bind to your nutrients so you can feel nutrient depleted so you don't have enough raw materials to help the body function. Protein levels in terms of um, digestibility, their scores, their studies, one is like dias, there's PDCAS. These are amino acid scores of how plant foods versus meats digest and absorb as proteins in the body. And it shows that meats are the best at being absorbed. And then on top of all of that, plants are now the way that we are um, cultivating plants, we're spraying so many toxins. Right. Um, I can give you an example of the carrots. Okay. So for GMO carrots or just um, conventional carrots, I don't know if they're all GMO, just because they're not organic doesn't mean they're just GMO. But conventional clar uh, carrots, they use a that water in the baby carrots, they use something that's like chloride. So basically, if you don't wash off the water, you're eating little bits of chloride, which is toxic for us. So one, if you're going to eat the gen a generic kind, um, there's a little bit of chloride in that water. So even not even considering what's in the actual food, we're now surrounded by these toxins. If you get the organic kinds, it's in this type of solute. And if you look at it, it's very antibacterial. So um, that's that um that solvent too, it's like you're drinking a little bit of antibacteria. And I know I'm being extreme saying it that way. But there are trade offs with both of them. So if yeah. you eat the organic kind, um, if you eat the chloride kind, and I might have mixed them up, the organic one might have, have the chloride version and okay, the okay. regular has the antibiotic version or anti uh, pesticide version. But still, the point is that they're not benign. The way that we're cultivating cultivating plants is not ideal. Is there a um, way to cultivate a it in a healthy way? I think the best thing is if you grow it on your own or go to the farmer's market, support your local farmer that you know doesn't use a lot of these things. Um, that's where I think I when people are eating meat-based and they're like, you know what, I've healed a lot. I want to add back plants. I think that's the way you should go is okay. not just buy organic, not just buy GMO. But I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with adding back plants for flexibility. I don't think we need it for optimal health, but right. um, you can absolutely add it back. And, I I, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's ideal, right? It shows that your body has resiliency to deal with other types of foods and you're still healthy and that's a good place to be. But um, plants, the issue is not just the plant molecules, then it's the DNA in itself, but it's also what we're spraying, what we're doing, and then the level of quality and all of those other things. Got it. Um, no, that, that makes sense. And, and I think that is perhaps a little bit more approachable um, because a lot of people like love vegetables and, and it's just, you know, know. they acquired a taste for it and everything. One question that was coming sure. up for me is... We have animals that are, you know, herbivores and they eat like berries will eat berries and, you know, right. um, I don't know, squirrels will eat nuts and what, like whatever it might be. Uh, and, and that fuels them. Are they, is something wrong with us that we can't deal with the plants or are they, do they just have it wrong evolutionarily, if that's a word? No, no, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. So I think it's really species dependent. So I had a podcast recently where the doctor was saying that there's a certain bird that has grown 
grown symbiotically with a different plant. So it's wild, but that bird gives some nutrients to um, eats that plant and then they both grow. So that that bird is the only bird that can eat that plant, but then everyone else that eats that plant will die or get really sick as an animal, I guess. And so it's just, um, it depends on what species appropriate. So I don't think it's that the squirrel got it wrong. Maybe something about the digestive tract. I haven't really looked into squirrels, but you know, cows have different digestive tracts than right. us. Um, they have a lot more. And so they're able to tolerate grass. But if right. you think about it, we know that grain, um, we know that corn and soy is not good for cows. Why? But they're omnivores. They should be able to eat all plants, right? So for them, the species appropriate diet is just grass. So it's not like they can eat all plants. Their ideal diet is just grass. Mm. And I think that's um, for every animal, right? So why, why do squirrels eat um, acorns, right? There's there's a certain food and it's not like, I, I bet you those bears and the berries they eat, they can only eat certain berries as well. And right. over but evolutionary, we can, they know that certain ones. But we can also eat only certain berries, right? No, no. So my <laughs> question with those berries is, so... Um, like strawberries, um, other berries, there are anti-nutrients in it. So maybe for certain people, maybe we think that strawberries are okay for everybody, but maybe for some, some people that strawberries is too much of a toxin. Right. Does that make sense? That makes sense. It and makes then sense. we're not even talking about mm. blood sugar and all of that stuff too. But yes, just from a toxin perspective. Right. Because it, it does make sense perhaps geographically, you know, mm -hmm. taking the bird example, maybe people mm -hmm. in certain parts of the world that yeah. are predisposed, I mean, uh, through uh, I agree with that. generations, right? And ancestry of eating certain foods, it might be easier for them to deal with than, than others. Uh, but something that is 100% certain is that we are in, uh, I would say, the beginning of a renaissance or uh, a enlightenment, rather, of uh, nutrition and how it suits our bodies. And we're not just believing everything we hear anymore. And I think it's important for people like you uh, to have a platform and discuss you know, one end of the spectrum and say, you know, let's look at the signs here and see what's happening and stop just assuming that everything we hear from the media or from advertising is, is the right way to go about it. Um, and I don't know, like, I think, I, I think from an ethical perspective, and just to be honest, like, we talk to plant-based people. We talk to everyone. This is across the dietary universe. We accept all planets and all regimes. Um, but I, I do think that in the future is probably us being able to like create things from scratch because we're just getting to that point. Um, we're very, 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 very early. Like I can't equate a beyond meat patty to real meat at this point. It just doesn't exist. Taste is even not there. Maybe texture to a certain degree, but nutrient value is <laughs> most certainly not the same. Um, but perhaps one day, uh, we can get there. So from an ethical perspective, the people who look at this diet and they say, wow, this is unacceptable. It needs to be plant-based. I think for those people, like it's just a different corner of the universe and, and you know, they, it, it's more of an ethical issue rather than like a scientific issue. Um, but if we're just looking at it from the science, it's hard to deny if there's real facts and there's real benefits. And clearly, I don't believe you or Michaela or any one of these people who have tried the carnivore diet and have seen significant improvements. Like your story is unbelievable. Um, I, I think to deny that uh, is just falsifying reality because the reality is that it does work. But I, th I think there's definitely like more steps and more research probably necessary to validate 
uh, who's who it's actually most optimal for. And maybe, again, one geography is better, more optimal than another geography. We don't really know, but it's clear that there is benefit to, to a whole lot of people. Um, how do you feel about that? Did I get that right? Are you okay with that take? Do you disagree? That's okay. <laughs> um, I would say with the ethical aspect and even for our climate, um, there is a lot of information. So I'm a big fan of regenerative agriculture, meaning that you know, we fear carbon and methane and that's, you know, killing our planet. But if you are farming in a regenerative agriculture way, so mm -hmm. this is where I do think that levels up compared to like the, the feed mills, um, the, those regenerative agriculture farms, they're actually cleaning up the air and they're, you know, soaking up the soil with more nutrients from the animals. And it's just the natural circle of life. So I think, that's where it's actually the most benefit for the planet. And I think also that is very humane. So um, we need to, our bodies will be part of the soil one day and then our cows will eat the grass. And I think that's the circle of life. I think we should treat animals well. And I think there's a very important part to that. And there is truth with the ethics in terms of in being in mills, sometimes, yes, I'm sure there are stories where um, animals are treated unwell and, um, I, that was part of the reason I was plant-based for a long time. But I think there's a point where, you know, there's a saying called ahimsa where it's like, do no harm, or I don't think that's the right word, but it's like, uh, no harm and, okay. um, or no cruelty. And the thing is, if I am going to save a cow for my own health, um, but then my own health is degrading mm. and that affects my children's health in the future, is that really practicing ahimsa? And I think it's, yes, we should ideally eat the, the animals that were raised on regenerative agricultures and be kind to animals. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, but we don't get the full story when we just talk to the plant-based and saying it's right. just harmful to the animals. I don't think that's fully true. And right. then the last thing is with plants, um, when you are monocropping, meaning that you're using the same seeds and the only growing corn, eventually the soils will become depleted. And the concern with that is then there will be no farms that the, yeah, that's, the that's, plants can that's grow. True. That's true. Yeah, there's, there's and definitely so issues with that. I, it's like, if you hear everyone's side, there's a little bit of truth to it. It's just finding that middle of, I think the bigger issue is as Americans, we are over consumers and maybe we just buy the amount that we need instead of buying in excess right us shopping at costco is a norm now when that store used to just be um it used to just be buying for bulk for restaurants and buying for bulk for like a big bigger stores and now we buy that uh in excess and we believe in excess and that's where maybe some of the concern is right um i i think that if we ate regeneratively i think we can feed everyone and just be healthy and the biggest thing with health is really just we want to be metabolically healthy and so the way is um if you are having hyperinsulinemia or excess insulin and your blood glucose is all over the place diabetes obesity yeah. all of these things are impacted by insulin and one proven factor of lowering all of those things to normalize is a carb free meat only diet. And maybe you can add a little bit of carbs, you got to figure out that threshold for you. We're not even talking about the mental aspect for some people eating a little bit of carbs, um, pushes them off the edge to go eat a pie, right? So it, it's figuring out that balance that makes sense. But 
the most effective way to reduce insulin, to get off metformin, to get off medication is to reduce your carbohydrates. And that is scientifically proven. I, I can sign off on that. I agree with that 100%. And uh, I just want to say thank you for doing what you do. It's really important to present new ideas and, and bring uh, different cures, this carnivore cure to the forefront to help a lot of people. Because at the end of the day, we're all on the same team and we want people to feel optimized right. in their body yep. and feel healthy and live their life and not have to be depressed and not have to feel ashamed uh, and to have energy and go out and do the things that they love. So um, we're all on the same team at the end of the day. And uh, I really like uh, I really like this. I learned a lot today. I think our listeners uh, have have learned a lot, too. Um, I'm going to continue to do research on it and I just might, you know, give it a go at some point. Thankfully I'm in remission now. So I'm like, just keep doing what I'm doing. Um, but it, it definitely is, uh, something interesting for people to learn more about you, Judy. Uh, I believe they can go to nutritionwithjudy.com. Um, and it's the same handle for Instagram nutrition with Judy J U D Y. Um, is there anything particular that people should check out when they go to your website or go to your page? Um, I would recommend people checking out the book. Um, I explain all the science and there's over 600 citations. The book is in color. So you could see a lot of the colors. We didn't talk about nutrient density in terms of why uh, beef may have more nutrition than a certain plant, but all of that stuff is covered. And then if you worry about fiber or you worry about vitamin C levels, it's all covered in the book. It tells you how to walk through the elimination diet. And then if you're ready to introduce plants again, it also explains how to reintroduce plants. So I recommend the book, um, but you can come on my blog post and then see articles there. I have podcasts. You can look up nutrition with Judy and all of the content will be there. Awesome. And where can they get the book? Um, Amazon and also carnivorecure.com. Awesome. Carnivorecure.com or Amazon. Check it out. I'm going to get the book, honestly, and and read it. I think it's cool. I love reading about gut health and and seeing seeing all the new information I can learn and garner. So, Judy, thanks so much for coming on Across the Dietary Universe and showing us a part of the universe that we have yet to see. Uh, You're the first carnivore advocate on the podcast and uh, not the last, I imagine, after this conversation. It's very interesting. We could honestly go and for another hour. I have so many other questions that I want to ask you that I didn't get to today. Um, You're a wonderful speaker, and we're very grateful to, uh, to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Judy. Thank you. Thank you for having me.